0: Welcome once again to Father Spitzer's Universe at the intersection of faith and reason. I'm Doug Keck, the gatekeeper here for Father Spitzer. And your questions are really important, so you email them to us at at ew 10com That's how we get them and use them on the air. Check out Father Spitzer's websites, as we mentioned, Magis Center an Incredible Catholic and Purposeful Universe as well. All different, all offering something for everyone out there. The Spitzer's Universe, of course, is always available on our EWTN on demand page. It's a wonderful page. If you haven't seen it, check it out. It's also on our EWTN YouTube channel. This Friday, something special October 7th, Feast of Our Lady of the Rosary, our on demand page will be live streaming the EWTN original documentary, Our Lady of the Rosary at Pompeii. That's this Friday, October 7th at 5 p.m. Eastern. So check that out from our on demand page. Of course, our topic, Satan uses the culture for large-scale temptation. Boy, certainly is. It's getting bigger and bigger. It's from Father's wonderful book, Christ vs. Satan in Our Daily Lives, available through our catalog. If you haven't gotten it, check it out for Christmas before the two or other books are on their way out the door. At least one's coming up soon. We're going to get to do one of them. We did one at the family celebration, so you'll see that soon. Book of the Month for October, Catechism of the Spiritual Life, by Robert Cardinal Seurat, a great cardinal. He's got a lot to say. We're proudly publishing it here in the United States and being proud as well of talking once again to Father Spitzer and seeing him again after just seeing him over the weekend in Phoenix at our family celebration. Enjoyed uh, seeing you there. People love seeing you, so... Oh,
1: thanks so much, Doug, and uh, I'll proceed to my prayer. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, Amen. amen. Heavenly Father, we give you thanks for all the blessings you give us, the blessing of our EWTN community, the blessing of our ability to serve in this ministry, the ministry itself. Send your Holy Spirit down upon Doug, myself, our whole audience this day, so that everything we do and say will be brought to fruition in your will, for the good of your people, your church, and your kingdom. We ask all these things through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. amen. And Mary, seat of wisdom pray amen. for us. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy
0: Spirit, amen. Amen, yes, so hopefully you've recovered and you're ready to uh, take on some <laughs> questions and go through uh, a couple sure. of recent <laughs> stories. This is one I uh, I picked up because I'd actually picked it out, uh, and you brought it up last week. And, it, and, and it's a story that mm-hmm. CNA, our Catholic news agency, which EWTN is in charge of, so it's related to us. Archbishop calls on mm-hmm. consecrated to wear religious dress as a revolutionary gesture. And it's an archbishop from uh, uh, Spain, Luis Aguayo, uh-huh. who called it revolutionary times to uh-huh. make the supernatural present in the streets by wearing in public the clothing proper to consecrated religious or ordained men. He said, there was a time when the novelty appeared that it had to do with our taking off the cassock and the Roman collar. Today there is time in which surely what is revolutionary novel, the presence of the sutra- supernatural in the streets and the squares, is friars wearing the habit, nuns being recognizable, and those of us who have been ordained also being recognizable, he added. And I thought of that because you were talking about wearing a Roman collar in the program last week. Oh, yeah. When the, when the priest scandal broke yeah. and, and saying that, you know, how many people see you and, and talk to you or come up to you and want to hear confession or get some sort of counseling, how important it is.
1: Yeah. A- absolutely, and I think we're just symbolic too. I mean, we're just a presence that's very different uh, in the world out there, and I think, you know, when we're wearing you know, a a habit or our clerical garb. Um, We're not uh, out there to be clericalists. We're not asking for privileges. You're not going to get any privileges by wearing your clerical garb, I assure you of that. Mm -hmm. But uh, the point is, you can be of service to people, and you're a symbol, a silent symbol, that there is something transcendent in the world and that you have given up Mm -hmm. your life for that transcendence. And um, that's at least a little sign of grace and hope Uh, AS YOU WALK AROUND AIRPORTS OR IN CITY STREETS AND, um, YOU KNOW, PEOPLE SEE YOU, IT REALLY MAKES A BIG DIFFERENCE. Mm -hmm. HAVING NO TRANSCENDENT SYMBOLS OR RELIGIOUS SYMBOLS OUT THERE IS SO FOOLHARDY BECAUSE WE JUST LEAVE THE SECULAR CULTURE TO ITS OWN DEVICES, ANOTHER ONE OF, uh, AS WE'LL BE DISCUSSING LATER,
0: uh, THE EVIL SPIRITS' TRICKS. RIGHT, EXACTLY. YOU KNOW, IT ALWAYS STRUCK ME, I REMEMBER, I WAS PROBABLY ABOUT 25, WAS IN NEW YORK CITY WORKING ON SOME TELEVISION PROJECT and walking along the streets with somebody and and I remember seeing these couple of sisters in habit walking along and mm-hmm. how I hadn't seen that in a while and how it kind of struck me and I still remember yeah. it and thinking that's right yeah. okay uh the sisters right there's yeah. there's something more yeah. <laughs> than just what's here and what I'm yeah. focused on right now you know what I mean so it doesn't always exactly
1: yeah it doesn't take a lot. I think even with ex- catholics seeing priests or mm-hmm. something, uh, it's so funny how you know somebody will actually admit on a plane to me, well, you know, I used to be a Catholic and then I get the whole outpouring mm-hmm. of something, you know uh, uh right there on the plane it's just amazing mm-hmm. uh, what happens when you uh, allow your own transcendent beliefs and the vows that you take to be publicly manifest, right. and like I said, you, you don't have to worry anymore about
0: being treated special. Right, you, right, all, right. You, that was concern can, in the old days. You can count on right? that not right. happening. Yeah,
1: right, right. No, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah.
0: Well, you're wearing it. You're proud. You know, other, you need to be with with everybody. That was kind of the '60s, yeah. '70s kind of thing, yeah. and you need That's to right. be part That's of the, right. what's going on in the community. So, but like you said, today you're a target. Yeah. Um, speaking of targets yeah. it seems like a lot of young women if not young men as well are targets of this kind of transgenderism that's out there but i wanted to uh... pick up mm-hmm. on this study uh... top top yeah. top surgery they call that it used to be called a mastectomy but now it's called top surgery uh... drastically improves quality of life for young transgender people study finds this is from uh, northwestern medicine who claimed that, uh, that, THAT AFTER THREE MONTHS AFTER SURGERY, THE PATIENTS WHO HAD THE PROCEDURE EXPERIENCED SIGNIFICANTLY LESS CHEST DYSPHORIA. Now WE'RE ONLY TALKING ABOUT THREE MONTHS LATER, AND THIS FITS EXACTLY WHAT YOU'VE BEEN SAYING IN A, in a VERY SMALL GROUP HERE, yeah. WHICH IS THE IDEA THAT, YES, INITIALLY AFTER SOMETHING LIKE THIS OCCURS, MOST PEOPLE HAVE A POSITIVE FEELING ABOUT IT. BUT OVER A PERIOD OF TIME, AND I THINK YOU'VE USED THE yeah. TERM TWO YEARS OR SO, um, IT TENDS TO GO IN THE OTHER DIRECTION.
1: Oh, yeah, no, that's right. I mean, it, it, you know, the very uh, first few years after the surgery, there is a feeling of elation, but come around the second and third year, the elation begins to subside considerably. Mm -hmm. And then what happens is uh, the anxieties that were untreated, that were, you know, initially the anxieties Mm -hmm. that, that, you know, the patients thought would be rectified by the transgender surgery, the sexual reassignment surgery, they suddenly begin to surface again, and they surface with a vengeance. Mm -hmm. So you've got the previous anxiety that now uh, is back with them, and the transgender surgery has not helped them overcome it. Indeed, it seems to have exacerbated it. Mm -hmm. And then you get another uh, big jump because buyer's remorse then comes in. You've permanently damaged your body. You're not going to be able to really change back. I mean, you can reverse some of the physical features but basically you have really damaged your body permanently and the buyer's remorse sets in and that really escalates the depression and anxiety and then by the time you get to ten years after the surgery you can start seeing the suicide rates uh, for that population that received the surgery going up by a factor of twenty times that's two thousand percent so um uh, that's that's you know over the general population, right. so that's really uh, a horrible statistic. It just, uh, you know, it, it, it speaks volumes right. about what is wrong with this whole procedure, why it is not a solution to problems, why it isn't even a solution to a fictitious dysphoria, you know. And so, you mm-hmm. know, in, in, in a way, the medical establishment, knowing these statistics, not just from American studies, but Swedish studies in places where it's very friendly to, trans, uh, um, to uh, transgenders, At the end of the day, you can see that uh, this thing should not be promoted by the medical establishment. The only reason for so doing is the money that's involved in it. And um, I can only uh, say that uh, I I know there are other populations who are outside the medical establishment who are doing it for cultural reasons, but, I mean, it's pretty bleak. Uh, And and if you know that this is going to happen, that, you know, this person has a a reasonably good chance of having a 2,000... Uh, percent higher chance of suicide ten years after the surgery Mm -hmm. why would you be promoting this as a doctor why on earth would you be uh, doing this so medically unethical all I can say is
0: you know conscience requires that we stop it individually and collectively right and it's interesting too because uh, one of the other articles here talks about the fact that there's people and and we've heard about them you know detransitioners have a message for distressed girls mangling your body is a sickness and not a cure and even talked about how initially when they were put on particular medications for part of the transition it was almost like taking Mm -hmm. antidepressant medication. you felt better you know i mean it was a more positive experience so some of that was actually actually a medical induced thing the other thing i would think is that if you make a decision to do something that you really can't change Your your first reaction is not going to to be that this was a mistake. You're going to, I would think, want to make uh, every possibility uh, to try and show how this was really the right decision. Well, that's
1: what the whole point is. Subconsciously, you so want it to be the right decision. That you kind of make it the right decision. Right, right. The problem is your subconscious can't uh, subconscious can't keep the myth going. After a while, you get psychically tired mm-hmm. of projecting this onto your uh, conscious framework. And as you begin to let go, as you begin to get tired of the projection, right? It's not real mm-hmm. happiness. You're forcing it uh, on yourself then of course you let go gradually and that's why three years after the surgery it begins, the elation begins to subside Mm -hmm. then when the anxieties resurface and then uh, surface back with a vengeance Then you see, oh my gosh, I made a mistake. I don't have any relief from these anxieties. The depression is back. My self-hatred is back. All these things are back. I've had the surgery, and now, of course, I've permanently damaged my body, et cetera, et cetera. How do I detransition? Oh, well, I can't detransition very easily. 20 times increase
0: in suicide rates. And just on uh, off yeah, another pretty, article, pretty there's interesting, I didn't know there was something called the World Professional Association for Transgender Health, but apparently uh, this group, uh, which deals with adolescents 15 and up, uh, wanted to change the treatment mm-hmm. numbers to allow for children at younger ages. What a surprise. Uh, but they had to backtrack because they actually got pushed back from most of the medical societies. The thing I thought was interesting that um, the, the person who's in charge of, of this WPATH is uh, Dr. Marcy mm-hmm. Bowers, uh, who's also transgender. So, I mean, you've got yeah. somebody who's obviously did this and now is promoting this, and you can understand why they might be a big champion of this.
1: Oh yeah, but I mean, at the same time, you know, again, you know, why are they promoting it so mm-hmm. heavily to justify their own actions? Right. Not necessarily because they're they're happier. In fact, probably not because they're happier. So the, the the thing that we have to just start reckoning with is you can't do you know do this with pre adolescents because the odds of a pre-adolescent going back to their natural biological identity are about 80% without even the help of therapy Mm. if you don't encourage them to get the surgery. The parents make a terrible mistake who in trying to reinforce their children's belief when they're children, right? They don't even have a fully developed frontal cortex. I mean, that's right. the cortex necessary for regular judgment. I mean, it's half developed at this age. Right. You're gonna let them make this decision? I mean, this is crazy. You can't, you know, you you, you know, you might want to say, Well, I'm not gonna support it, but I'm not gonna go against it. That's much better than supporting it. Mm. Believe me, if you support it, then what you do is you perpetuate the myth that they're gonna get a resolution to their anxieties with the surgery Mm. and all you're doing when you perpetuate the myth is that you're going to perpetuate the 20 times increase in suicide rates 10 years down the pike after the surgery so uh, the the best thing you can do is get therapy for your children when they're pre-adolescents of course we cannot legalize uh, or even medically allow Mm. a pre-adolescent to get uh, you know, such a surgery. I mean, when you don't have a frontal cortex, how, you know, develop, how, how can you possibly be making a decision of this gargantuan, you know, uh, size, you know, et, et cetera. So this is a right. problem, uh, I'd say, of ethics as well as of medicine and science and, of course, down
0: the track of anxiety and suicide. Right. And, and the very, and quite honestly, when you see it, the incredibly bizarre many times people uh, on TikTok and these other places that are encouraging this kind of uh, mm-hmm. behavior on people. Uh, changing topics and going to something we uh, talked a little bit mm-hmm. about, uh, you know, the Nazis and and what they did, etc., with uh, you know dealing with uh, the unwanted. Mm-hmm. But recently, and this this was yeah. an article that came out from the uh, Catholic League. And uh, in a September 26th edition of the Fox News show Outnumbered, guest Sharon Osborne, Ozzy Osborne's wife, mentioned the fact, that I, I'm oh, wow. not sure what the topic was, but she said, you know, that most of the Nazis were Catholic. Um, and, and the point that he wanted to make was, this is Bill uh, Donahue, she's wrong. Hitler drew most of his support from Protestants. In fact, Catholics provided the greatest resistance to him. Soci- sociologist Richard F. Hamilton, author of Who Voted for Hitler, settled this matter. Decades ago, in fact, there's another study in the American Journal of Political Science that said at the height of the world economic crisis, majority of Catholic regions remain strongholds of democratic parties, while in predominantly Protestant areas, uh, they abandoned their traditional uh, allegiances and flocked towards the Nazi party. And they go on to say our analysis confirms that region is the single most important empirical predictor that religion, I'm sorry, of who voted for the Nazis or not why did they perform so poorly in catholic regions so you you hear this yeah. kind of hard because no, of the I connection mean, uh, with uh, hitler's uh, mother being yeah. raised catholic you know so that's right that's right but uh, uh
1: you know the I th- the facts are there and the, you know i think um, no one can possibly i mean uh, wow that's just like uh, you know uh, accusing uh, you know uh, uh you know people of uh of a um, you know allowing you know uh, uh, let's say physician assisted suicide for handicapped people and then turning around and saying you know ah the disabled are the ones who really wanted you know the uh, uh, the uh, the euthanasia. Um, uh, to be uh, of, of significance mm-hmm. for themselves we know very well that every uh, disabilities uh, advocacy group is against assisted suicide and so the idea of you know of saying you know 20 years after the fact you know oh it was really the disabled who wanted it right. you know it's the same kind of canard you know it it's you know these are the things that uh, as you said one time I forget mm-hmm. when it was mm-hmm. if you're gonna lie lie big, big
0: right. you was, know uh, so I mean that that's Gerbils, just what's right? going on. Yeah, Goebbels, right? so yeah, yeah. that was his thing—the big, yep. yep. big lie. Well, how could that be? That but can't a big be. Lie. That has to be true. It's such an obvious lie. But that's the yeah. world we live in today. Yeah. So, <laughs> so let's uh, let's go to yeah. some uh, the some uh, questions. And speaking of Protestants, we have here, dear Father Spitzer. Uh, I'm a retired Lutheran pastor and have listened to your show and watched it for years, being blessed by your wisdom and knowledge. Haven't we all? YOU HAVE BEEN ON MY PRAYERS LIST SINCE YOU MENTIONED SOME TIME AGO THAT YOU had GOOD HOPE THAT A PROCEDURE COULD BE DONE TO HELP RESTORE YOUR EYESIGHT. ON A RECENT SHOW, YOU COMMENTED THAT YOU WERE IN A SEATTLE RESTAURANT FOR LUNCH AND AT THE NEXT TABLE YOU SAW FOUR PEOPLE LOOKING AT THEIR CELL PHONES. I REMEMBER THIS. IGNORING EACH OTHER. Yeah. I JUST ABOUT JUMPED OFF MY CHAIR. WAS THIS JUST A FORMER SPEECH OR IS THERE SOME HEALING STARTING TO COME FROM BRUCE? <laughs>
1: Um, uh, no, I didn't see the four people right. that uh, that were uh, doing that, but uh, uh, everybody at our table was actually commenting on right. this, right. Um, you know, so I couldn't help but be apprised of every detail right. that was going on because all of my colleagues are going, We oh, yeah, look at this, <laughs> this is amazing. There's not one word being mentioned. So of course, uh, uh, you know, being, I, I'm, I'm hyper-tuned in mm. uh, to the conversation, but mm. um, I use that term see all the time. So my Apologies mm. for uh, for that misstatement, but I always, after I say it, you know, I say, oh, it's great to see you. I use the term lightly. <laughs> oh, right. Right. So, is so, there any uh, update you want to anyway, give us on that, that?
0: Or, uh, I mean, well,
1: uh, yeah, I mean, basically, uh, I have a solution that's being worked on mm. with an mRNA uh, delivery system uh, that's being worked on um, in Macau mm. uh, to deliver um, channel options. Uh, INTO MY um, EYES, uh, THEY'RE NOW AT THE RAT STAGE, AND SO I, okay. I THOUGHT, MAN, if, they, IF IT PASSES THE RAT STAGE, uh, THAT'S PROBABLY GOOD ENOUGH FOR ME, SINCE uh, I uh, uh-huh. you know, SHARE SO MANY THINGS IN yeah. COMMON WITH THE RATS. BUT uh, ANYWAY, um, ACTUALLY, IF IT DOES PASS THE RAT STAGE, IT DOES NEED TO GO TO THE chimpanzee STAGE, mm-hmm. AND IF IT PASSES THAT, IT NEEDS TO GO TO THE HUMAN STAGE, right. but, uh, BUT MAYBE IN ABOUT A YEAR AND A HALF, THERE MIGHT BE SOMETHING. Uh, for the old Spitzer to see with, and so right. uh, uh, hopefully that will happen.
0: That's right. Your nickname will be Biggie Rat from the uh, cartoon villain. Yeah, that's right. Uh, okay, so uh, <laughs> better than Fat Rat. <laughs> there you go. Absolutely, <laughs> Fat Cat. That was another guy, right? Uh, <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> okay, dear Father Spitzer, I was reading *Escape from Evil Darkness*, and you talk about being challenged uh-huh. by someone saying that God is unloving because He. He creates people who end up in hell, and being in hell is worse than not existing. Is it better to not exist than to be in hell? It seems to me that God allows hell as people's own choice, often because they believe falsely that they will be happier worshipping themselves than worshipping God. And this is from Della. Well, Bella, you are absolutely correct.
1: You answered your own question. Absolutely. People choose to go to hell, and the reason that they do is they believe that they will be happier worshiping themselves than worshiping God? You actually put your finger right on John Milton's little sage remark. Remember in Paradise Lost, where um, you know the chief devil there is kind of trying to buck up his fellow devils who are beginning to, you know, lament the fact that they're down in hell and suffering, and he gives them the rousing line, you know, better to be. You know, um, in hell for an eternity, than to bend the knee for a a single second uh, in uh, in in heaven. So, uh, so the uh, the idea, of course, is you're right. Self idolatry is the myth uh, of of happiness for the people in hell, and um, little do they know uh, that the misery which they suffer and willingly suffer, they choose it. Mm Um, because they think that the alternative will be so awful, but the the alternative, according to God's loving plan, Mm -hmm. is bliss, and they don't even know it. They so have cloaked themselves from the truth. They see no way out of their misery. And remember, the devils are miserable in in uh, in hell there, and right. paradise lost. Misery likes company, but, you know, <laughs> right? We
0: <laughs> <That laughs> used to say, right? Yeah, that's right. Got to buck them up. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> we need some more down here. Make me feel better, but not really. Yeah, that's right. Okay. That's right. Here's another question, yeah. dear Father Spitzer. We had a speaker in our parish tell us that Satan can't read your mind or hear what you're thinking or praying silently. Is this true? He's an angel. If he can't, does that mean that the archangel Michael and your guardian angels and saints can't hear unless you vocalize your prayers? This is Bill. Well, Bill,
1: I know this is out there, you know, that the evil spirit can't, uh, uh, now the evil spirit can't change your mind or force your mind Mm -hmm. or take over your mind. This, I know, is part of Catholic doctrine. Mm -hmm. However, I've, you know, the idea that the Holy Spirit can't sort of know, um, you know, what's uh, on your mind, mm. uh, I, I've always, I don't know where that comes from Catholic doctrine. I know people have asserted it a lot. Um, sometimes I feel like, you know, if I'm about ready to give in to a temptation or something, I get this strange feeling that the evil spirit knows I'm just on the verge mm. and, you know, and is uh, stoking the... Stoke the fires. So, right. you know, I, uh, I have to tell you, um, I, I'm not so sure about that. Right. I, I mean, I've experienced many, many times when I feel like, you know, um, even if I'm not on the verge of it, uh, but I'm thinking about something that, you know, he wants to change my mind on that subject, mm. you know, and I get this suddenly this out-of-nowhere sort of thought, mm-hmm. you know, that kind of pops into my head you know, that, uh, that that seems to be a rationalization or contravene the good thought that mm-hmm. I'm having. I get this feeling, I do think he really has some sense of what's going on in my mind. So I I, I have mm-hmm. to tell you, I'm not so sure about that. Not and much. and if you can point out a place doctrinally where the Catholic Church has said that, that's great. Mm-hmm. But all, all, I just know right now, the devil can't take over your mind. Mm-hmm. He can't take over your will. He cannot, um, you know, um, uh, subjugate your mind or your will, uh, you know, to, to something. But I think he can tempt you all right. And right. one of the ways he does it is with false arguments and, oh, he's just waiting for you to make the decision. Right. And he seems to be almost instantaneously alert to when you're about to make it right. and uh, is only too willing to help.
0: Absolutely. So um, that's And certainly that's anyone... And certainly, anyone with silent prayer—that uh, is being heard, uh, regardless uh, of whether it's you know by yeah, oh yeah, by our Lord. It's or being the heard by the and angels and by absolutely. Uh, yes, it's being so heard part, by his enemy about. too. Right. Uh, yeah. Dear Father Spitzer, I heard a critic of Christianity claim that Paul never met Jesus personally. He said Christianity is actually a religion of Paul's teaching, not Jesus's. How do I respond? This is Brian. This is kind of goes back to. the that red letter kind of idea well i only believe what maybe yeah. what jesus said in in scripture of course the uh, jesus seminar came down to i think one or two lines they thought maybe he actually said so, yeah. uh,
1: <laughs> well uh, i mean like i said uh, i always go back to that nice debate between uh, nt wright and and uh, dominic cross and, and how how uh, at the end, you know, uh, N.T. Wright is strumming his fingers on, the, you know, okay, Dominic, what you got on your mind here? Oh, resurrection couldn't happen. This couldn't be the truth. Uh, and, of course, one by one, N.T. Wright just destroys the guy in mm-hmm. public. And, uh, by the way, this guy, uh, Stuart, S-T-E-W-A-R-T, uh, has uh, just uh, wrote a book called uh, The Resurrection of Jesus, but he records the entire debate between mm-hmm. Cross and N.T. Wright. the end of the debate, and uh, Dominic Cross has agreed with everything Think Ed T. Wright has said, and you know, in his typical English accent, "Oh well, I think we're in fundamental agreement." Thanks so much, <laughs> Dominic, and uh, you know, end of the debate. So, um, you know, my 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 one thought is, you know, don't, don't trust the Jesus Seminar too mm, liberally right there. Right. I think. Uh, Uh, they've been uh, far too liberal on themselves Uh, their criterion that they try to apply the strict criterion has not been judged by the strict criterion they use to judge the scriptures so uh, alas alas I think uh, that's a and movement but um, uh, to get back to the main thing is the Mm. accusation that uh, Christianity is a religion of St. Paul no doubt St. Paul had an effect ON THE CATHOLIC CHURCH AND CATHOLIC RELIGION, BUT AS ST. PAUL HIMSELF SAYS, LIKE AT LEAST 20 TIMES OR MORE, WITHOUT JESUS CHRIST, HE'S A BIG NOTHING, YOU KNOW? AS I GROW WEAKER, CHRIST GROWS STRONGER IN ME, RIGHT, ET CETERA, et cetera. I mean, mm-hmm. I MEAN, WITHOUT JESUS CHRIST, WITHOUT THE DOCTRINE OF JESUS CHRIST, St. Paul would have never converted. St. Paul would have never uh, come around. Of course, everything he's taking is from the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit that was given by Jesus. Are you kidding me? I mean, of course, Paul, you know, without Jesus, Paul's a big zero. And Paul admits it countless times. And so, you know, the whole idea of the cross, Paul said, I didn't want to come near that. The whole idea of addressing God as Abba, Paul said, I don't want to come near that. But now, through the Holy Spirit, through the teaching of Jesus, he can do it. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it's not a religion of of uh, Saint Paul at all. Mm-hmm. It is Paul amplifying various points um, uh, for uh, a Gentile group of people that needed to be amplified, but built upon the foundation of Jesus. And and it's like you know Jesus's foundation is huge. It's it's like uh, mm-hmm. nine you know uh, times of nine layers worth of of uh, building on who the Father is, and who the Trinity is, et cetera, et cetera. Jesus is the one that lays all the groundwork. Mm -hmm. Paul just simply takes that groundwork Mm -hmm. and then amplifies it in certain regions. But this is, you know, goes back to all kinds of people who basically, back to Boltman. basically. Mm -hmm. uh, Jesus is, you know, the the so-called Hellenistic Jesus. Mm -hmm. Well, of course, he retrojected saint paul back into jesus but joachim jeremias mm-hmm. um, one of the great exegetes of all time uh, just basically slammed the door on the uh, uh endeavor to hellenize jesus and just basically wrote jerusalem at the time of jesus mm-hmm. uh, as a rejoinder and then in uh, new testament theology mm-hmm. volume one uh, you know, just smashes the entire Boltmannian thesis into pieces and replacing it with the historical criterion for the ipsissima vox of Jesus. So I don't think you have to, you know, Boltman I mean, this is like, you know, w- YOU KNOW, PEOPLE HAVE NOT GIVEN ME A and ARGUMENT IN SO LONG. Right. SO uh, CONGRATULATIONS. YOUR FRIEND HAS has REALLY RESURRECTED AS IT WERE right. SOMETHING THAT WAS DEAD a good 60 way of, YEARS AGO. GOOD WAY OF
0: PUTTING IT THERE. GOOD WAY OF PUTTING IT. WITH THAT, WE'RE GOING TO yeah. TAKE A BREAK. MUCH MORE AHEAD WITH FATHER SPITZER. MORE OF YOUR QUESTIONS AND OUR TOPIC FROM HIS BOOK. STAY WITH US. Thank you so much for staying with us in Father Spitzer's universe. Satan uses the culture for large-scale temptation from Father's book, Satan in Our Daily Lives. Before we get back to our questions for Father Spitzer, I wanted to tell you about a newsletter you could sign up to receive. It is the Heart of the Revival newsletter with all the latest news and events of the National Eucharistic Revival that's ongoing here in, in the United States. And go to their website, Eucharistic Revival. that's one word, .org, to sign up, eucharisticrevival.org to sign up. We've got to fight for the Eucharist. It's what Mother Angelica would want you to do. So check that out. And we're back with Father Spitzer, who I'm sure hardly endorses that game, so, uh, <laughs> as I would say. So next up yeah. here, dear Father Spitzer, my mother was an extreme narcissist. That's interesting that you'd make that analysis. When she was very ill, I was at her bedside most of the day. Two weeks before her death, she lapsed into a coma. One day, she suddenly sat up and looked straight ahead into space and said, you mean all my life I've been thinking only of myself? Question mark. She then fell back into her coma and died two days later. Could she have received a vision of what her final judgment would be? And could she have repented in her coma? Lynn. Well, Lynn, first of all, she... Uh uh, might have had a vision
1: of uh... of what maybe christ was telling her mm-hmm. it's not necessarily her final judgment because the final judgment is final mm-hmm. so uh, obviously um, uh... that uh, being made aware of all of that um, you know would have caused certainly in many people an act of repentance and your mother you know being apprised of it mm-hmm. uh... could have definitely repented uh... in her coma because as we know Mm -hmm. a coma is only a lapse in what's going on in the physical brain Mm -hmm. uh... the spiritual dimension of the person is still very functional and we know this from many many studies right where uh... we have a phenomenon called terminal lucidity Mm -hmm. where we see people who have had non-functional brains. Basically, um, they had IQs less than 50, Mm. if you just looked at them externally, right? Only capable of making animal sounds and just very, you know, tragic kinds of circumstances. Yet, in their terminal lucidity state, uh, terminal lucidity is when about an hour before death, Mm. when their brain is starting to shut down, suddenly it seems anyway mm-hmm. that some, their soul uh which is you know is not it was channeled through the brain originally is is kind of a lot more free uh to sort of communicate with people and we see that people um, you know with their brain shutting down suddenly become very lucid and expressive mm-hmm. people who are only capable of of uh, truly animal sounds mm-hmm will suddenly begin to sing religious hymns and begin Mm. to talk about all kinds of things that happened to them and express all kinds of articulates, uh, you know, phrasings about how they loved you, et cetera, et cetera. And you go, who is this person? Mm-hmm. I right. mean, they're out their whole lives. They, they've they been functionally, you know, the IQ of, of you know, uh, you know, less than, than an you know, animal in a, in a way. Mm-hmm. And so you just look at this and go, how is this happening? Because there is truly a soul present. That's mm-hmm. why it's happening. And it's the physical brain that is inhibiting that intelligent soul from manifesting itself, that self-conscious, intelligent soul from moving through the channels of the body so that you know, that it would look normal to you. So yeah. the idea then is as the brain is dying and the soul has much more of a direct transmission Who knows how uh, through the vocal cords, through the eyes that are still connected uh, somehow to the body. When the brain is shutting down, people uh, begin to say things, do things that their brain is clearly incapable of doing. And and they're doing it with such great articulation, they shock doctors. As one uh, uh, doctor at Harvard actually just said, we have no idea how this is possible but of course if you don't believe in a soul you wouldn't have an idea uh, how this is possible but if you do it's utterly possible right and they also and have those so we document, the same thing
0: right and those documented cases where they talk about people who are in comas who recover who tell you i heard everything oh, yeah. you were saying while you were talking there oh right? yeah and, in a sense or, of and not only that, that i,
1: right? I uh, Oh, yeah. Or if they start having a near-death experience, they literally will leave their bodies, go to the uh, waiting room next door and listen to everything everybody's saying in the room next door, go outside the hospital walls, et cetera, et cetera. So uh, make no mistake about it. um, You know, that person could definitely repent. That person is intelligent right, in their soul, even though their brain is not functioning, even though they're in a coma, they definitely have intelligence going on, they definitely have willpower going on, they definitely have self-consciousness going on, and all those memories going on, and they can definitely say, I'm so sorry, I had no idea, or I'm so sorry, I guess I was really like that, I regret it, I want to change. That's all you'd need to say, and God would be right back in your camp. So,
0: yeah, there's a really good chance. And hopefully that uh, not only helped uh, the mom, but maybe uh, other members of the family who might have witnessed that happen and gave them a greater sense uh, of of belief. One last question before we get to the book. Uh, Dear Father Spitzer, the church teaches that absolution will be granted to anyone who confesses with a contrite heart. Does that include sins such as profaning the Holy Eucharist or something else worthy of excommunication? And moreover, how does the process yes. of excommunication work? And can someone be reinstated back into the church, James? I think he answered the question already. Yes, yes and yes. <laughs> yes right. Yeah, yeah, yes, uh, you would be forgiven
1: for that sin. Um, yes, uh, um, most of those uh, latte sententiae uh, excommunications can be forgiven in in, uh, in confession. Uh, now Pope Francis has advanced a lot of those things, um, and uh, uh, you know to the confessional, including abortion at this point, and uh, also you have the possibility. Oh, now if you really do something. Uh, uh, terrible, for example, mm-hmm. um, which would be a more serious excommunication. Mm-hmm. Uh, for example, a priest deliberately reveals the sins of a penitent in the confessional. That would definitely mm-hmm. require, uh, you know, to be reinstated to the church, mm-hmm. uh, it would require uh, the bishop to lift that um, excommunication. Uh, but to be forgiven for doing mm-hmm. that, uh, that could happen uh, through, um, you know, a uh, um, you know, a, a firm uh, mm-hmm. purpose of amendment and, and of course, through a, con, a sacramental
0: confession. Okay, let's move on to your book, talking about Satan's tactics and how the devil works on page 241. You say, morally relativistic philosophies have led to the abandonment of objective principles, utilitarianism and situationalism that tend to ignore conscience. Marxist dialectical materialism has led to the undermining religion, The rise of a totalistic state and the undermining of private enterprise. Why has it been so successful?
1: Well, I I think it's successful because people need something to replace religion with, Mm -hmm. right? So, I mean, uh, Uh, you know, you're always looking for some kind of absolute meaning. We all need it. We all look for it. The anchor that we're going to drop, you know, it's going to be a a meaning in our life. So moral relativism, that may happen. But you think, well, because I'm a moral relativist, do I still need a kind of absolute anchor and absolute meaning? And the answer is, yes, I do. Mm -hmm. Uh, We all do. We all need some kind of final place where we're going to rest You know, our meaning in life. And if people, you know, have abandoned religion, which is the only thing that responds to our truly transcendent nature, the transcendent uh, nature that was meant and destined for eternity by the Creator can only be given by the Creator who made us with that transcendent identity and absolute meaning that would come from the eternal and transcendent and not merely from an imminent this worldly, um, you know, meaning. Mm-hmm. So the, the point that, um, you know, we have to understand is, but you're still gonna need a meaning. Mm-hmm. And if you abandon the one meaning that can truly satisfy you, that was intended by the right. creator from the beginning, then you're gonna look for another meaning in this world. And Marxism, that looks pretty good. You're mm-hmm. gonna share everybody else's wealth uh, with everybody else. Uh, but of course, we know that that really doesn't work, uh, not even in a Marxist state, mm-hmm. because there are people who, of course, have privileges in the Communist Party of the Marxist state who mm-hmm. take more than their fair share, and they're not willing to share it with anybody else. Mm-hmm. And so the, the, you're not going to get around this point. Private property is still going to be uh, important. The whole idea mm-hmm. that you know you're going to run, a true economy without any sense of of property ownership or any sense of being able to gain a just reward from the work and creativity and risk that you uh, venture mm-hmm. uh, th- that's absurd. Um, and, and so but people will sink their their um, their flag into that uh, state, you know, state because they're basing it on feeling rather than looking at, you know, the realities of economics, the realities of the human condition, the realities of, of, you know, people's, you know, not only their their created nature, but Mm -hmm. their state of original sin. And so uh, uh, that's where we get these crazy uh, doctrines from. And identity politics today, what's that all about? You abandon transcendent identity, your own, um, uh, you know, meaning in life mm-hmm. through eternal, uh, you know, the eternal uh, worship of, of the God who created you, well, what's going to be left over for you? It's got to be a this world kind of thing. Well, you want something that's distinctive to yourself, so maybe it's your ethnic origin. Right. That's what will give you absolute meaning, or maybe it's the fact that, um, you know, your This, but maybe that'll give you absolute, or maybe it's your economic condition or your educational level. Maybe that's what will give you your absolute identity. But we'll fix Mm -hmm. upon anything. We'll fix upon anything that is distinctively like us, and then we'll make, we'll absolutize that, and that'll become the absolute meaning of our lives. But of course, it won't Mm -hmm. get us anywhere because we want more. We don't just want who we are now, we're Mm -hmm. meant for more. And we're meant for perfect truth, love, goodness, beauty, and home. We're not meant for just our uh, little niche of truth, love, goodness, beauty, and home. Now, we're meant for eternal and perfect truth, love, goodness, beauty, Mm -hmm. and home, which would be in God alone, who is the only transcendent and perfect and unrestricted being that there is, because you can only have one unrestricted being. So anyway, the whole thing is totally a false uh, ideology and you put your faith in that stuff, you're going to be disappointed. But it's not just you who's going to be unhappy. You will fight like a dog to maintain that identity uh, identity politic above all of the other identity politics right, right. that are out there. Well, that's of where you different have that, viewpoints.
0: Right. that intersectionality that's idea where of where, where do you score? You know, oh, uh, yeah. I can top you by being these three things. Well, I have four different things. Yeah. And what I don't understand is these are the same oh, people yeah. that say, well, everybody's equal. We're all supposed to be treated the same, but somehow yeah. These other things that are not, you know, your skin color or your where you were born yeah. or what your religion is somehow yeah. now makes you totally different.
1: That's right. Or, yeah, or the matter of your, your the amount of your development when you're in the womb, mm. you know, all kinds of right. little factors right. get put out there. But the, the thing that's so interesting, though, is when you say, I hate you because you belong to this political party or I hate you. BECAUSE YOU SUPPORT THIS POLITICAL CANDIDATE. AND YOU GO, REALLY? ALL THE VITRIOL FOR SOMETHING POLITICAL, SOMETHING THIS WORLDLY? Mm -hmm. COULD IT BE THAT YOU HAVE MADE THAT THING YOUR ABSOLUTE MEANING IN LIFE? IT MEANS SO MUCH TO YOU THAT YOU CAN'T GIVE IT UP WITHOUT ABANDONING YOUR VERY SELF, ABANDONING YOUR VERY IDENTITY? AND IF THAT'S THE Mm -hmm. CASE, Wow! I mean, you are not only limited in your vision of yourself, but you're going to hate everybody who doesn't fit that image. It's a terrible thing, and the evil spirit Mm. has pulled it off with such great aplomb. It's unbelievable how we really believe that this is our ultimate destiny, meaning, and fulfillment. Truly amazing. HOW THE DEVIL HAS PULLED OFF THE GRAND ILLUSION OF
0: OUR SO-CALLED SOPHISTICATED CENTURY. RIGHT. PAGE 244, SATAN'S TACTICS. WE ENCOUNTER ONE OF THE EVIL ONES' PREMIER STRATEGIES TO influence our, OUR EDUCATIONAL SYSTEM. THE OVERARCHING AND UNPROVEN ASSUMPTION THAT TOLERATION IS MORE IMPORTANT THAN THE WHOLE TRUTH.
1: YEP. That's always the thing, is be tolerant, to be a nice person, that's good enough. Mm-hmm. Even if toleration and being a nice person leads to the destruction of people, right? So, okay, I, I want to be tolerant, you know, I'm going to just go ahead and, uh, you know, I want people to have an abortion if they want one, you know, etc. cetera. And mm-hmm. you can say this. BUT YOU'VE GOT VICTIMS, YOU'VE GOT REAL VICTIMS OUT THERE, AND NOT ONLY THAT, But post-abortion syndrome means you have multiple victims out there. When you think about the fact that women who have an abortion are four times more likely uh, to commit suicide, 2.5 times more likely to contemplate suicide, and of course 1.5 times more likely to have substance abuse problems, 1.3 times more likely to have depression and anxiety problems, ALAS, I CAN TELL YOU, mm-hmm. uh, THIS uh, ABORTION IS NOT A GOOD THING. It's multiple victims on all levels. For the woman, for the, of course, the child who is summarily killed right. and not brought into existence because somebody said you could treat them like chattel, that is to say, movable property, the very same aim that Dred Scott versus Sanford had in mind to enslave black people, right. you can see pretty clearly whenever we do these kinds of things and we just want to be tolerant, but we're not going to speak the whole truth, we're not going to tell them who the real victims are, we're going to keep the truth hidden about the emotional condition of people who go into these things and do these things, we're going to keep the truth hidden about marriages and relationships, oh, cohabitation is such a great thing. Day. and the longer you're in a cohabitation the better you're going to like it because marriage is so unnecessary when all of the statistics mm-hmm. reveal that the longer you're in a cohabitation relationship the more likely you are to have a divorce the more likely you are to have a substance abuse problem the more likely you are to have uh, you know um mm-hmm. uh, problems in, in not only you know in your marriage but actual problems of fighting etc uh, in your life so all of these things Uh, You can pretty much clearly see our uh, real problems that deal with, um, you know, what I would call, you know, all of the fallout from all of the unmentioned uh, things that we keep void and black in our culture. So you know, um, yeah, we don't want to tell the whole truth. We'd rather be nice than kind. Kindness means we'll tell somebody when they're going to commit emotional suicide. But it may not be nice to tell them that if you do this, you're going to commit emotional suicide. Uh, Kindness would tell people when you're going to commit spiritual suicide but it may not be nice because Mm. you might right you get a little bit of pushback because you're not going to let them do what they want to do initially even though they're going to kill their spiritual lives they're going to kill their um, their emotional lives they're going to kill the people around them they're going to kill the relationships around them they're going to actually kill the culture ultimately good luck but we got to keep all that stuff hidden because it wouldn't be nice mm. to reveal that you're going to have a 20 times increase in suicides yeah. if you get the sexual reassignment surgery. Wouldn't be nice to say that you're going to have a five times increase in suicidal contemplation if you're going to go for uh, you know, uh, um, uh, uh, a homosexual lifestyle? You, you know, just, it's not nice to do that. You, you should really be much more respectful than that. BUT, OF COURSE, IT'S NOT KIND, IT'S NOT COMPASSIONATE, IT'S NOT TRUTHFUL TO KEEP THE WHOLE TRUTH HIDDEN. AND THAT IS THE BEST LIE THAT THE EVIL SPIRIT HAS PUT OUT THERE. IT'S LIKE SUPER TRUMP CARD FOR EVERYONE TO JUST SHUT UP AND JUST BE NICE. And don't say anything mm-hmm. about what is likely to happen to them, to their relationships, to the people around them, to their spiritual lives. Don't say anything. Right. Just shut up and be nice. Well, well think, if that's right. what you want to do, right. you know, I think it's not what Christ would have you do. Right.
0: Well, Archbishop Sheen, I think, uh, said our problem in, in the in the world we mm-hmm. live in today, this was years ago, was not that we're not tolerant enough. Is We're too tolerant. There's too much toleration of things that shouldn't be being tolerated in society in the name of tolerance, I guess. Now, one of the things here, too, on page 247, you talk about the the devil and deception. Mm -hmm. And a couple of the deceptions is one is in the area of spiritual feelings. What kind of deception is that?
1: Well, what happens, you know, the the evil spirit tries to give you a feeling of peace or joy or something like that when you are contemplating something that is really horrible. Now, of course, the, the, the way to do that, mm-hmm. you know, he does it in stages. So if you're going to do something, let's suppose you're going to have, um, let's take Anna Karenina right Mm -hmm. you're gonna um, betray your husband and your son you're gonna have an unfaithful relationship with Count Vronsky well step number one in the process is you gotta rationalize it off Mm -hmm. and the first stage of rationalization is it's so good it Mm -hmm. feels so good I mean it's so beautiful it can't be wrong Mm -hmm. it's so beautiful I cannot imagine something more beautiful than this kind of love that I have uh, for Count Vronsky. How could something like that be so wrong? And then you take that and you overshadow that feeling of beauty that you then, you know, say it equates to goodness. Mm -hmm. And then after you've equated it to goodness, then you say, it's not so bad that I'm going to betray my husband here. It's not. I mean, after all, he's not a very nice uh, person. Mm -hmm. I mean, he is a forgiving guy. He's a good provider. But I can see lots of faults in him. So I can see why I'd want to betray him for something as beautiful and quote-unquote good as this, mm-hmm. so uh, you can get how he does it, and so, of course, he wants to give good feelings out there, to feelings of peace and goodness that and beauty, especially beauty, right, to kind of help move you along in your decision to do something horrible, to somebody else, do something horrible against God's law, do something horrible to your relationship uh, to other people. And of course, she she has a qualm about her son, Mm. you know, gee whiz, I I just hate to go off with Vronsky here and leave my son behind. But it is, after all, beautiful, and they're just part of that old-fashioned, you know, morality that's Mm -hmm. out there, you know, and I just got to go. And so, uh, you know, she does. And Mm. sooner or later, she gets sick and tired of the old romantic relationship with Vronsky because he's sick and tired of her. Mm. She bores him. And then, of course, she starts getting snippy when he ignores her and says, I'd like to do painting rather than Uh, be around you, Mm -hmm. and then, of course, everything begins to unravel, because the snippier she gets, the more he withdraws, and then finally, of course, the devil gets his way, Mm -hmm. and what does he do? He basically convinces Anna that her life is over because her relationship with Vronsky's over. Her husband has made overtures to her again and again that he would forgive her for everything, just come back to his son, not even to him. And she just can't see her way clear. And then as Vronsky abandons her, she throws herself in front of the train and, you know, in the the grand gesture of ending it all. But it would need not have been so. Mm. That You know, the devil just, you know, but his deception, it's always that first deception, which is frequently on the level of feeling. Like I said, it's so beautiful. Or, you know, look at this thing of wealth, you know, look at these beautiful things that can't, you know, they can't be wrong for me to possess all of this. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I know I'm going to have to take a few shortcuts to get it, mm-hmm. a few little lies, but I mean, it's, they're so beautiful. But there's always you know, that, that feeling, and the devil is right there with the rationalization that accompanies the good feelings, but there's always this. There's that little peeking of the conscience, the Holy Spirit, as St. Ignatius says, even while the devil is giving over all this beauty stuff and all these rationalizations and all this, oh, he's bad to me anyway and so forth. You know, and the main thing is the Holy Spirit still coming forth and going, you know this is wrong. You know that he is a good man and a just man to you. You know that your son mm-hmm. would miss you terribly if you abandoned him. You know that, uh, you know, his father cannot leave him in your hands when you're doing this adulterous thing in Paris with this guy, Vronsky, etc. cetera. You know this, you know, so it, back in her mind she knows, but of course she is not gonna listen to her conscience. Mm-hmm. She, because it's not what she wants to hear and that's how he works it. He's very
0: very very sly. Absolutely. And on that note, we shall leave it for this week. Father Spitzer, if you'll uh, give us oh, a prayer on blessing on the way out the door. And bow your heads and pray for God's blessing.
1: And may almighty God bless you. And Send his spirit to open your hearts to his teaching in every way, to open your consciences in every way so that you will not only listen to him through your conscience, listen to him through the church, listen to him in his word, but listen to him knowing that everything he's leading you to is the bliss of his love that is perfectly good, not the false loves that are
0: evil and dark. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Amen. Thank you so much, Father Spitzer. We shall see you next week. Be well. And, of course, Father Spitzer's books are available through our religious catalog. And next week we continue with Deceptions of the Devil, Coming as an Angel of Light. And, of course, we've got our bookmark, False Mercy, Recent Heresies, Distorting Catholic Truth by Christopher Malloy. Interesting book. Uh, Promoting for all of you to watch is The Bridge of Roses, the story of Our Lady of the Cape, Wednesday, October 5th at 10 p.m. Eastern, Friday, October 7th, 3.30 p.m. Eastern. Put together by our good friend from Canada, Mr. Kevin Dunn, who you see on all the March for Life coverage from Canada. I'm Doug Keck. We shall see you next time in Father Spitzer's Universe.